Jalen Carter in the news for all the wrong reasons at the combine. We've got we're going to get into last week's athletic beat writers mock draft that was wild to me. And we're bringing on the creator of Raz, the relative athletic score. Kent Lee Platt's going to join us to preview the combine. All that and more coming up on tonight's Draft Countdown podcast. Tonight's edition of the Draft Countdown Podcast. I'm your co-host Brian Bosarge. Joined as always is my co-host Shane P. Hallam. And Shane, we are 56 days, 22 hours, 58 minutes, and 8 seconds away from the 2023 NFL Draft. It's Combine Week, so we're going to be talking plenty of Combine today, given kind of the preview. And next week we'll be recapping everything that happens. So make sure you follow you know, Draft Countdown. We'll have all the weigh-in results of everything. I'm, I'm, I'm pumped up. This is kind of the last big event before the draft. This is it. Yeah, the pro day circuit sort of that slow trickle in of uh, when do we get those numbers and everything, and and we depend a lot on tonight's guests to accumulate those numbers so for us because most schools aren't very forthcoming with that information. Thank you, University of Wisconsin, for being one of the few schools that are awesome about this. Yeah, uh, getting that information out there. But Shane, uh, yeah. What was that? What was that? Whoops. What was that? I, I thought we were something big was happening here. The old text message. Something big was happening. It was a text from our good buddy Nino Brown. I forgot. To oh, there you go. That's silent that's there. Good. So uh you know makes his check. appearance on the show. There you go. He's here every week in spirit at the very least. <laughs> uh Shane, some big news came out of the combine. Uh this morning and it relates to the tragic uh, tragic death of two uh, University of Georgia personnel, one football player, uh, Devin Willock and uh, staffer Chandler LaCroix uh, killed in a car accident. And it involved uh, Georgia defensive tackle uh, Jalen Carter, a potential top five pick in this year's class. Uh, I'm just going to read the facts here quickly, and uh, then I'll read a statement from Jalen Carter, and then we'll 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 discuss it um, after that. But two arrest warrants uh, issued today by the Athens Clark County Police Department, both misdemeanors that are punishable by a $1,000 fine, community service, and up to a year in jail. Uh, the misdemeanors in question are reckless driving and street racing. Uh, I mentioned involved the death of his teammate, Devin Willock, and Chandler LaCroix, a staffer. The driver of the vehicle that crashed was Chandler LaCroix, and he had a recorded blood alcohol level of 0.197, which is more than double the legal limit. Uh, And his car was, they estimated to have been doing 104 miles per hour uh, when it crashed. Um, It appears Allegedly that, allegedly, I should say, Jalen Carter lied to police initially about what happened on the night of the incident. Uh, He is going to turn himself in and cooperate with the police, and he has already left Indianapolis, was set to speak this morning to the media, but uh, obviously did not, and he is gone. Um, The Athens Clark County Police Department said that impairment, racing, reckless driving, and speed were significant contributing factors to the car crash and um, the death of the 
two people involved. Uh, Shane, before we uh, get to that, any any thoughts on what I just read there from the uh, the story? Yeah. Oh, look, it's a, it's a terrible situation all, all around. I mean, um, we, we saw kind of an, an outpouring for Devin Willock and, and the person that he was and Chandler LaCroix, the person that, that she was um, when that happened, you know, it, it's always sad to hear maybe some of the circumstances here and obviously the alleged circumstances that may have contributed to this. We'll see what happens. There's still a lot to kind of suss out from, this situation, what what is real, what is alleged, you know, what happens in the court system. Um, there's a lot to it. Obviously, we as draft analysts, like, you know, we have to look at that impact. It's not always the nicest thing to do, and it's not always, you know, it's kind of the, one of the crappy parts about this gig is, is you have to talk about these things in a, a different lens that when people's lives were, and were at stake and were lost in this. So, um you know, I, I, I we'll see what happens. I think at this point, I'm kind of in that wait and see mode. Yeah, we've got a question um, on Twitter about Jalen Carter. We're going to answer some of that later. But here's a statement he released today. Uh, said, this morning I received a telephone call from the Athens, Georgia Police Department informing me that two misdemeanor warrants have been issued against me for reckless driving and racing. Uh, he goes on to say numerous media reports also have circulated this morning containing inaccurate information concerning the tragic events of January 15th, 2023. It is my intention to return to Athens to answer answer to the, the misdemeanor charges against me and to make certain that the complete and accurate truth is presented. There is no question in my mind that when all of the facts are known that I will be fully exonerated of any criminal wrongdoing. Um, any thoughts on the statement there from Mr. Carter? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's, what he has to say and, and hope, you know, I, I hope it's correct and true. I, you know, we'll, we will see. I think this is going the misdemeanor charges at, at this point, always more can be added later. Uh, so I think we'll see what happens if it is just those two charges. I think it will get sorted out fairly quickly, uh, especially if Jalen Carter turns himself in and goes through the process. There you go. So, we didn't want to have to talk about this to lead in, but you know, it was the it's it's gonna be the biggest story of the combine for all four days, regardless. Now, this is this is what's gonna be talked about on NFL Network ad nauseum and ESPN and everywhere else. So we had to talk about it. There it is. But there are other things we're gonna talk about tonight, and that leads to our guest. He is the creator of the relative athletic score which you can find at ras.football. And the man may, unarguably, I think here, Shane, have the best mustache of all of draft Twitter. He is our good friend, Kent Lee Platt. Kent, man, great to see you. Great to see you too, man. You know, you narrowed it down all the way to draft Twitter. I was going to be like, well, there's so many good ones, but amongst draft Twitter, it's yeah. got to be hands down me, right? No, nobody. <laughs> nobody. Humble <laughs> brag, you know. It's, uh... it's, if we're narrowing it down to such a small group, I, I, I got to take the, the dub there, right? Yeah, I think you do by far. So I don't think anyone's really that close, let's be honest. Yep. I love this thing, man. I, I actually grew a full beard. I turned 40 a couple of weeks ago, and I grew a full beard because I'm old enough where that thing is just pitch white and just nothing but white. And the plan was from now until forever, when anybody looks back at my 40th birthday party, they're going to see me and be like, wow, you look so much You look so much younger now because you got the beard and all the white. It was a plan. It was a long game, man, the long con. I got to tell you, every time I uh, get my beard and goatee trimmed, it's grayer and grayer every time. And it's like, there's no stopping it now. So it is what it is. But uh, Kent, man, you know, we had you on basically the same time last year. And we, we talked about Raz and how great it is. But just give us the, the Cliff Notes version of it quickly for people who maybe didn't listen to the show last year. Uh, what is Raz? Yeah, Relative Athletic Scores has been around since uh, about 2013. It really started in earnest in 2017. That was the last time that I updated my calculations. But 
Um, essentially, the idea is that it puts all player metrics on a 0 to 10 scale. It should be pretty easy to understand. Everybody would understand that 0 is bad, 10 is good. Hopefully very simple in that regard. Uh, everything on the cards is stoplight color-coded. So green is great, yellow is, is just okay, and red is bad. Um, the idea is to make all player testing as accessible as possible to fans so that anybody can watch the combine, can hear these numbers, and actually understand what they mean when they're compared to their peer group. You know, it's very easy to say that, oh, this guy ran a 455. Well, what does that mean? Is that good? Is that bad? I don't really know, right? You don't really know unless you're, you've been around the NFL community, you're more experienced with the, the stuff that's going on. But with something like Raz, it gives you that context. So for a wide receiver, a 4.55 is going to be you know, about average, you know, maybe a little bit below average, I think. Um, but around the middle. But you have a 4.55 in your defensive end, that is a fantastic time, right? And Raz allows you to see that because you're going to get that about average score for a wide receiver, but it's going to be a fantastic score for a defensive end or if we had an offensive lineman that ran that, right? Um, so it, it helps provide that context that is otherwise lacking from the discourse that we have. And it's been going on for a few years now. I hope to keep it going as long as it stays fun. Um, I'm, I'm always hoping to make things more accessible for fans. And I think Raz does a pretty good job of doing that. Look, Brian has had Twitter arguments uh, about how the combine, you know, people saying the combine doesn't matter and why do we do this? And so I, I think a question to you with Raz is uh, what does this kind of correlate to in terms of maybe draft capital, NFL success? Like it had, have you looked at the, at the Raz and, and said, look, here's how we could show this is an important number ultimately. Yeah, and I, I've been able to do that very recently. I had a very quick study that I did recently when I was able to finally get the NFL rosters added to my RAS database. Um, it's been tough because I use a very different system than what the NFL uses. We have Everybody has an ID that they attach to a different player, right? Well, my ID is not the same as theirs, so it's not as simple as just, well, load in the NFL rosters. Uh, but I did find a way to do that, and we were able to do that a couple of days ago, and I was able to run what NFL rosters look like. And it was pretty surprising, even for me, who has known for some time that athleticism correlates generally to NFL success, regardless of what success metric you're using, whether it's Pro Bowls, you know, 1,000-yard seasons, number of touchdowns, uh, number of sacks, all that stuff, right? Regardless of what you're using as a success metric. Um, Raz has pretty generally correlated to success in those areas. You generally have the, the high elite guys who are successful and the guys who uh, are very low scoring Raz guys are the outliers. There, there's only a couple of those guys for every guy that's in the elite range or the above average range. Um, I was able to show recently that as far as just making an NFL roster, it's pretty overwhelming. It's over 80% of players on an NFL roster are above that 5.0 average mark. And it's almost half. It's 40, 45% are above 8.0, which is the elite range. So almost half of NFL rosters are in the top 20% athletically. And that's pretty wild to me to see that kind of number where it's so overwhelming that NFL, NFL players are generally the very best athletes you can possibly get at any position. And, you know, I like people always, because I'm a numbers guy and I built this metric, people like to throw that, you know, drinking your own Kool-Aid type of thing. But, like, to me, that says so much about the guys who don't test well and still find NFL success. That makes their story so much more interesting, so much more important when you're trying to evaluate players because you get to look at guys like Nick Bolton most recently with the Chiefs who tested under average. My favorite one to go to is Anquan Bolden, who never tested really well, and you can find reasons why he succeeded in the NFL. Orlando Brown had one of the worst combines of NFL history and is still a successful NFL player. Those stories are so much more interesting when you have that context of how rare a player of their value in the NFL is when compared to how they tested. 
It doesn't take away from the guys who tested well. It just makes those guys that didn't so much more interesting to study and try to figure out why they did succeed in the NFL. What are they doing differently? How does it work for them? It's fantastic. I love story time, story storylines this time of year. You mentioned, and this was a very large addition, I think, what you did with the team, Raz, and you 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 put out a link for each individual team. So my question is. What can we at Draft Countdown? What what information can we garner from this? And when it when we're building mocks and trying to look forecast where these teams are going, as far as what what can data can we extrapolate from your team, Raz? And you know, as far as like, are we able to like say, okay, this G or can we look like say this GM head coach combo? Well, like the Bengals would be easy. They've had the same group of people for five years now. Right. So it's very easy to see, you know, what the, they've done in those five years. So we can we look back to like certain like five years, three year range, stuff like that? Yeah. You can break down, you know, the, the averages themselves currently, because this is very new. I mean, we're talking less than a week old when I put this stuff up. Um, right now, you can only see the averages on the current roster. You can't see the types of players that they've added during that time. Right. With the Bengals, it's pretty safe because, as you said, they've had the same people in making those decisions for a certain amount of time. So it's pretty safe to look at the current roster and say they're probably looking for guys within this range. Um, and it, it the, the site that you're referring to that I posted, the links to all the individual pages, it shows all of the players currently on the roster and what their scores are. And you can filter by that position. So looking at cornerback, for instance, which I know is a need for the Bengals, they need, a, they need some help in their secondary. If you filter their cornerbacks and you start to look through the individual traits that they have, you can kind of get an idea of the type of guy they're looking for. And if you don't want to look through all the individual ones, I added another table that looks through the averages for each position on that roster and what the, the, that team currently has and what range they have. So when you're watching something like the combine, you can watch for players that kind of fit within that range, or maybe you're looking for the higher end of that range because you're looking for the guys that you think they would pick early in the draft, right? So you're looking for the guys that would probably fit the type of player that they're looking for. Um, I posted a couple of examples for that, which I think was the Indianapolis Colts and their wide receiver room. Um, their top receiver, I believe, is Michael Pittman, but I think he was the lowest scoring athlete in their roster for wide receivers, every receiver they have is super athletic. They have a really athletic wide receiver. The other example was the Dallas Cowboys linebackers, which were other, again, super athletic group of guys. And obviously, if a guy tests below average, that's probably not a guy the Dallas Cowboys are looking for in the linebacker room. For wide receiver, um, for instance, Jackson Smith in, in Jigba, who is supposedly going to test not quite as well in this, in this combine. I disagree personally. I really like him as a player. I think he's a really good athlete. But I've heard people complain about his athletic traits and say that maybe he's not going to test well. If he doesn't, maybe he's not on the Colts' radar. Maybe that's not the type of guy they're looking for. Maybe he is a type of guy the Bengals are looking for who have, have been known to overlook those types of potential deficiencies when it comes to testing. So it gives you an idea of the type of players these coaching staff, these general managers, these, these decision makers are looking for. And you can kind of get an idea of what they're trying to find. Um, I don't have the granularity added just yet for breaking it down by years, like shifting those years to smaller. So maybe you're only looking at, you know, 2020 to 2023. Um, because you have a newer general manager. I don't quite have that level of granularity yet. I am looking to add that level of granularity. Um, but being able to see what's on a current roster right now gives you a lot of options that you never really had to look at before. And I'm glad I've been able to add something like that to the draft community. So if you want to look at those, because it's fun to go look at your favorite team and like look through these positions. So go, go to raz.football, ras.football. Super easy to remember, which I love. Um, is great. Ken, I asked this question last year. I'm going to ask you again because I think we, we get this popped up to us all the time. Um, combine versus pro days. You know, I think the general public out there thinks, oh, the, you know, the, the pro days are, you know, 
they're going to be a little faster. Those numbers are going to be a little better than the combine is. So we got to, I got to adjust that or I got to think of it in a different way. You've looked, you've been doing this for a long time. You've looked at these numbers. Is that true? Is there a difference between the numbers we get at the combine and say, you know, someone say Bryce young, who doesn't work out at the combine does his pro day. Is, is it going to look better for him because he's just doing the pro day? Yeah. And there's definitely a difference for some schools. Um, this is where it gets really hard because everybody wants an easy answer. You want to have that easy, oh, yeah, you just add this amount to it. And, you know, we can mathematically look at an overall score and say, you know, generally there's this amount. I've done that math. For a, a person, a player on the line, it's about 0.1 when it comes to time drills and a negligible, negligible amount for the non-time drills. So vert, broad, bench, negligible difference. No one cares. For time drills, it's about, about 0.1, which is a pretty notable difference. For skill positions, it's about 0.07 when you're talking about skill possession. So a little bit closer, but still a fairly significant difference. Now, that's nice to look at. And from a data standpoint, that's a, a perfectly reasonable data point that you can use. But it doesn't stand up when you add any level of granularity to it. Ohio State, for, for instance, has actually had a slower 40-time average for players that run the 40 and run the combine. It's been slightly slower at Ohio State than it has been versus the combine. Um, LSU, Iowa, and Florida generally have a faster time than they have at the combine. So players would generally run faster. It makes sense for them to run faster at their pro day versus their combine. This is where you get into that whole fast track mentality about guys that decide to skip at the combine and run at the pro day, but it is not universal and it's not a universal amount of difference at each pro day. Some pro days are very similar. Part of that is the track. Part of that is the way the timing has been done. It used to be that the combine was laser timed and pro days were hand timed. So there's that little bit of difference automatically between those two things. But over the years, most pro days are laser timed now. There's very little difference functionally with how they're timed. So it really breaks down to the school, and you got to kind of get into that little bit of granularity there. Um, but generally, I would, I would consider them fairly similar when you come to combine versus pro day times. And there are specific instances where you would consider it a, a fair difference. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. For Brian jumps back in, uh, you talked about Jackson Smith and Jigba. Rumors coming out tonight that he's probably not going to run the forty, maybe not work out at all. And then and, and then he goes to the pro day. He's at Ohio State slower, so he we might actually get a slower time for him, perhaps yeah. than we would have gotten at the combine. So very interesting. He should That's unfortunate. Run. That's the first time I heard that. I'm 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 a little disappointed that I was hoping he was going to run at the combine and put put people to put that little concern to bed. We'll see. I don't think it's confirmed, but just some of the, you know. He should the, ask the if he could go test at LSU. Yeah. <laughs> can I run? Can I run to Louisiana real quick and run on their track? Quickly, I want you mentioned the Colts and their wide receiver uh, proclivities. And it, I, I, I wrote this down. I didn't write this down originally, but I, I know something me and Shane just became fascinated with tracking during last year's draft was that every single player the Colts drafted a year ago, and it was like double-digit players, if I recall correctly, all with a plus-nine Raz, blew my mind that they just went all, all in on the athleticism. Yeah, the Colts for sure have been one of those teams that's been all in athleticism. And when I, when I first posted all these team results – they're one of the teams that I talked about where a lot of fans have been have been asking for the ability to look at a roster perspective. What's on the roster? How do they compare to other rosters and all that? Uh, the Colts are one of those teams because a lot of the fans of that team have kind of noticed that that's the type of player that they're looking for. They're looking for that athletic upside. And that's been that way for several years. When I first started looking into that, it was very specific looking at the offensive line. At the time, the Detroit Lions, which I follow, because I was still writing about the Detroit Lions at the time, um, had a very almost anti-athleticism approach when it came to the offensive line. 
and it was depressing, both as a Lions fan and as someone who covers athletic testing to see a team that just basically gave up when it came to athletic testing. Um, but the teams like the Colts, the Eagles, the Dallas Cowboys, these teams constantly just looked for the best athletes that they could find at those positions. And they built very strong offensive lines over that period of time. Um, since then, we're talking five, six years of, of time here. You know, there's been some up and down years, but the Colts have generally not wavered from that approach of trying to find those very athletic players. And now that I can look at full rosters, I can see how much that extends outside of the offensive line and to other positions. And the Colts seem to be one of those teams that very much looks at athletic testing as a primary factor when evaluating players. Give me some guys you're looking forward to this this combine. Can't uh, you know you, you've you've already mentioned a few, but uh, I feel I feel like you always have a list that you uh, maybe send out on Twitter sometimes. That hey, I'm excited for this. Any, yeah. Anyone you're excited to see uh, how the testing comes out this weekend? So in Raz, everything is zero to ten. So anybody that I can get close to ten, I'm trying to find those guys right. Uh, Boye Mafe last year out of Minnesota was a guy that I was like, ah, he's really close. I think he could get 10 at defensive end. And I think he got 10 at linebacker because he tested at linebacker, but then obviously he plays at defensive end and he didn't quite have the 10. I counted it as a win. I think I was close enough, right? Uh, but there's always going to be guys I think that that are, are getting close and uh, – one of the guys that we were looking at this year very closely is Anthony Richardson out of Florida. Cam Newton has held that 10.0 spot, that top spot in Raz since 2011, I believe it was when he came out. Um, it's very, it's very beatable. It's not like Calvin Johnson, who had uh, uh, the lowest score that Calvin had was 97th percentile. It's not like that where it's going to be damn near impossible to beat. Um, quarterback is not super undefeatable. Cal Cam Newton was a fantastic athlete when he came out. And it's very difficult to be that level of athlete at that size, uh, but it's beatable. And Anthony Richardson could get there. I think uh, quarterback we've had, we've seen change hands several times over the last few years. And we've got a lot of really good athletes at cornerback this year. Uh, we've got uh, Christian Gonzalez, Devin, Devin Witherspoon, Joey Porter Jr., Several guys, I think, that could contend for that athletic spot. Uh, Kelly Ringo, if his uh, agility testing is better than people expect, could also contend, I think, for that 10.0 spot. Um, Tyree Wilson is an edge. The, the top spot for defensive end is held by a guy named Brian Johnston. He was a seventh-round pick many years ago. Um, nobody knows who he is because he wasn't successful. The next, like, 10 guys includes guys like Miles Garrett and Mario Williams and Kyle Vandenbosch, really top-tier defensive ends. And it's a beatable score. It's a score that I think guys could beat. Um, and we've got Tyree Wilson, of course, Will Anderson, and a couple of other guys that I think could really contend for those spots. Um, and those are the only guys I think they're going to get hit, hit 10 uh, we don't really have any tackles that I think are going to contend for the top spot. We don't have any offensive line at all that I think are going to contend for the spot, top spot. Um, safety linebacker is pretty set. We had a, a, a guy uh, get close to that last year. So I think we're pretty set at all the other positions. But there's so many really good athletes in this year's draft class. And it's, it's a lot of really good um, – conversations about the the types of players that we have the storylines that we have but most of those revolve around the weaknesses perceived weaknesses that players have to try to overcome guys that are too small guys like bryce young zay flowers guys that are supposedly too small that we're hoping they test better than it is about the superior athletes at their position so um, more looking for who beats expectations than who blows us out of the water, right? I must say that I was loving that Jelani Woods went 10 last year at the yeah. tight end position because that was my guy, Shane. And uh, still Hell a of an man. athlete. Hell um, of an athlete, especially at his size. Like I, I, I'm questioning this year. Darnell Washington, I think, could contend with Jelani Woods for that 10 spot. 
He is a mammoth and of a man. Some reports of you know mid four sixes to low four sixes for him could be could be interesting. So we'll see. Yeah, and, and that's actually a good one because at his size, if he if he meets those benchmarks, people say he could hit. He could contend. The big thing with Jelani Woods was he tested well in his agility drills, which big guys don't usually. And I'm not I'm not 100 convinced that that Washington's going to do that. He might. But I didn't think Jelani Woods would have. So, <laughs> you know, who knows? What uh, what position groups have remained the most consistent, like where Raz correlates to success? And then the flip side of that, which positions over the last, let's, let's just say 10 years, have seen the biggest swings? So I actually talked about this when I went over this study this week, and I'm super excited to go over it. So I apologize if I get a little energized during this. But uh, tight end is one of those positions where you basically have to be an elite athlete to do well at tight end. And if you're not an elite athlete, you damn sure better be at least above average. And the, the last more than two decades, like two and a half decades, we haven't had a single tight end rated below average who became a top receiving tight end the only one that we have that rated below average was jordan reed who had a ton of injury issues and during his draft process tested injured and didn't complete all of his tests he may have tested better had he been able to had he been healthy at the time but he wasn't it was a big concern so we have this one outlier where we have a bunch of asterisks next to it and nobody else And this is over two decades of time where we only have the top tier athletes down to Zach Ertz, I think is like 62nd percentile. Um, And he was the lowest of the group. So nothing but elite tier to very good athletes who found good success in the NFL as receiving tight ends. So that position has always been very intriguing when it comes to that, because athleticism has been so huge come to this week and I do this study against the NFL rosters and tight end is actually amongst the least predictive positions when it comes to NFL roster ability. Most of the tight ends that are on rosters are above average or elite, just like any other position, but it has one of the highest percentages. Actually, it might've been the highest percentage of low res guys that were on rosters. Maybe that can be explained by blocking tight ends versus receiving tight ends. And NFL teams have a proclivity for including those blocking tight ends in their offenses. Maybe. I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's enough to to really account for that difference. I'm super intrigued to dig into it. But on a broad note, outside of that position, uh, defensive end and offensive tackle have always been very correlative to success versus NFL testing, um, athletic testing. Um, we've seen it for the skill possessions for a wide receiver and and running back, um, not quite as much because of typing. Um, you have different types of running backs, different types of receivers, you know, your West Welkers don't necessarily have to test as well because they're not doing the same things as your Randy Mosses and Calvin Johnson's, right? Um, and then you have guys like interior linemen where, or interior pass rushers anywhere, where, You know, guys like Aaron Donald have to be super athletes to do what they do. But nose tackles don't have to have that level of athletic ability. They just have to be able to anchor and prevent guys from moving. That's not the same type of testing. So you don't get that same level of correlation because there's different types of players. Um, Raz, unfortunately, can't account for all that typing just yet. We're working on ways to do so, but we're not quite there yet. Um, so we generally see those types of differences in positions that have varied types of successful players. Um, and obviously quarterback, no one knows what the hell is going on. We're all just basing it on, on the eye test and what we think is a good quarterback and what we think is going to work. Um, there's a, a raw number that suggests that it correlates to athletic testing, but as someone who tracks that sort of thing, I don't put any stock in those numbers because the stuff that makes you a successful quarterback isn't tracked in those numbers, right? 
No, that's great. I mean, I think it's going to be super interesting to see some of the results of that. And um, I I wish I had the time really to dig in to a lot of these and start to go back through some drafts and and GMs. I know there's some beat beat reporters that are doing it um, that that's uh, I've been taking note of for these mock drafts. Um, Kind of a general question, Ken, are, are players getting more athletic over time, you know, you mentioned we've seen that we saw, you know, four ten Raz scores last year. Um, are, you know, are you seeing the kind of numbers have increased year over year on average? That's a great question. It comes up a lot of times, and it, it's a little bit complicated because the answer isn't just a straight yes or no. I wish I could say yes or no. Um, in terms of numbers, the answer would pretty overwhelmingly be yes. Uh, but I don't think it's as simple as that. I don't think it's as simple as that players are more athletic now than they were back in the day. Um, the reasoning behind that is that we have a ton of players who, who tested extremely well, numbers that would still hold up today, um, 10, 15, 20, even 30 years ago. And I think what the difference is, is that over time, the NFL Combine, the NFL Pro Days have become more and more of a visible event. They become something that NFL teams pay attention to. And now that we know that NFL teams pay attention to athletic metrics overwhelmingly on their rosters, uh, the fact that they have to test well, they have to put up those good numbers to be able to contend for an NFL roster spot. Players are training very differently now than they used to. The, you know, Jerry Rice was one of the first players to attest in any combine in 1985. We don't even have those testing numbers because our, our testing numbers only go back to 1987. Uh, but the combine started in 1985, essentially. Um, and it's not like Jerry Rice was training for the 40, right? He, he came in and maybe he had some uh, like idea of how he was supposed to test for the 40, but it's not like today where guys will test the moment the college season ends, if not earlier, they will begin testing for the 40, figuring out how they're going to do their stance, how they're going to break out of their stance. That first step is so important to the 40 yard dash. And that's just one drill. That's not even going into the cone, shove, vert, bra, not going into any of that information, just the 40 yard dash. Players are so much more prepared nowadays than they were 20, 30 years ago. Um, so I don't think players are necessarily more athletic nowadays than they used to be. I think there's probably some merit to that discussion about players being more athletic just because the natural progression of athleticism over time in a professional sport, you probably have a good argument there. Um, but I think that the fact that players train very differently, differently for those types of drills accounts for a lot of what we believe that perception that players are becoming more athletic over time. Correct me if I'm wrong here, uh, but was it, uh, 1994 Mike Mamula is credited as basically being the probably the first person to train for the combine. Is 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 that safe to say? I mean, that's always the story I hear, right? Yeah, and that's not a that's not a bad guess. I mean, you have a guy who everybody refers to. That's I think that's the first time we heard the term combine warrior come up, right? The guy, the guy that just has the numbers and doesn't really have anything else. Um, but Mike Mamula had a, a ten overall rats. He had elite traits in speed, agility, explosion, all the big three areas. He wasn't the biggest of players at pass rushers at the time. Six, four and a half, 248 pounds is like really big by modern terms of a defensive end. Uh, but back then that was pretty small. And, you know, he tested fantastically. I think the thing with him is that he just kind of understood the way things were going and the way that testing was going. Um, and what, what fascinates me is that you'll see that type of mentality, the way that players uh, work the offseason nowadays. We saw it with Kyler Murray in his draft class. Kyler Murray runs a 4-3 was a big thing during the time. He never ran a 40. We have no idea what his 40 was. And as someone who specifically 
scouts those athletic traits. I don't think he ran that kind of a 40. But no one will ever believe you if you say he ran slower than that because he said it the whole time. that That's what he ran. He got his agent to, to repeat that. And media outlets picked it up. You're seeing it this year with with uh, Byron with uh, uh, Young, where it's all about how tall he is. We're worried about how tall he is. He might be less than 5'11". Nobody actually cares how tall he is. We know that you can succeed in the NFL at a shorter height, as long as your release height is fairly high and you've got a good amount of athleticism or uh, accuracy and athleticism. There's a bunch of other traits that go into it, but nobody actually cares if you're under 5'11". We've got multiple instances of players who are under six foot who have found success at the quarterback position in the NFL. What they're not talking about is how slender he is. He's under 200 pounds. He's probably about 185 pounds. There are almost no examples of quarterbacks who have found NFL success at that weight. But you never hear that when you're listening to the media, when you're looking on social media, when you're hearing things in the, the buildup of the combine. It's all about his fight. That's because agents are fantastic at their jobs. And the players now understand how that narrative has to work for the draft buildup. And that type of stuff has been fascinating to me every single year whenever it, whenever it comes up. And Mike Mamula is probably the first guy. We're, we're talking about 1995. That's you know, many, many years ago. I'm very old. I don't know if I mentioned that at the beginning of this pod, but I'm very old. And it, it, we're going back to the 90s now. That's long enough ago that a lot of people weren't even alive at that time. Um, so... It, the fact that people have picked up on that over time is fascinating to me, and it's super interesting to watch how how players and agents and teams have picked up on those trends over time. Uh, so so what what uh, let's talk about your lines a little bit. They got you got two picks in the first round, uh, and heading in a good direction. Barely missing the playoffs is. Do you have any hopes or dreams for the Lions at this point, either generally or specifically? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when the Lions first picked up their new staff, their new head coach, and their new general manager, you're always kind of looking at year three. And as a Lions fan, we've been through enough rebuilds that we know that year one and year two don't really matter when it comes to, to wins, right? You're not really paying attention to the wins. You're paying attention to how your team progresses, how your team plays, the players that you're picking up, the age of your roster matters more than it ever does at any other point. Um, so the Lions picking up, you know, Dan Campbell and, and Brad, uh, you know, Brad Holmes, you're, you're, you're trying to figure out what are they going to do? What are they trying to do build this team? And, we're, t- we're three years in now, and we've seen that they've done a very good job of identifying talent in the draft in every round, which is insane. That doesn't happen normally. And we're only three years in, so it could still be a fluke where maybe they just got really lucky, right? Maybe they're just really lucky, and they're not just amazing at the draft. Um, at the same time, I don't care about that. I'm a Lions fan. I want them to win just let us enjoy this, right? Let us enjoy as the team gets better. Um, but we we want to see them improve. And we've seen them two years in a row improve in, in significantly in positions they had needs. So the question becomes, where do you think they still have a need? What do they still have needs in that this team can address? We know that they have needs in their secondary. They need some cornerbacks, some safeties. So... We're watching this draft, watching this combine, watching this pro day circuit, and we're paying attention to the types of cornerbacks, the types of safeties that they're looking at. We know that they have some linebacker needs. They haven't really drafted that early in the draft, but we know that they recognize it as a need. So we're paying attention to the types of guys that they're paying attention to in that linebacking core. Um, We don't know for sure. Some people are absolutely certain, but the Lions have – kind of sent mixed messages about how they feel about the quarterback position. So we don't know for sure what they're looking at for quarterback, 
Dan Campbell very early on had said he wants an athletic quarterback with a big arm who can move. That's not Jared Goff. But maybe they've changed since then. Maybe that's no longer what they're looking for. So they might be looking for a quarterback, which means we should pay attention to those guys in the draft. Or they might not, which means we're wasting our time. So I guess it's pick your poison in that regard. Um, we know that they've had some durability issues at running back, so they're probably paying attention to running backs. And Brad Holmes has shown no disregard for the running back position in terms of draft capital. He's drafted first or second and third round running backs. He has no qualms against drafting a guy like that early. And the Lions have a potential need. We know they need a right guard uh, with, with Halapulavati Vaitai injured pretty much the entire time he's been here. Maybe they need to get a right guard early. That's another offensive position they might look into. So we've got a lot of positions they might look into, and we're very confident in their ability to evaluate talent. So when it comes to the Lions, they could do damn near anything. But I think you're going to have a very positive response from Lions fans in general because they've built up a lot of goodwill over the last two years. And with coming off a 9-8 and eight season, which no one expected them to get anywhere near that, that says a lot. And hopefully it continues in that direction. I mean, it's 50 plus years. They've got to be, they've got to do right eventually, right? Last question, Kenton. I'll let you get out of here. And it involves Detroit and one of them athletic quarterbacks we've talked about already. Lions pick six, Lions pick 18. Does Anthony Richardson hit for you at either one of those spots? So his, his, his negatives are so negative, right? And, and you've got the same problem with Will Levis, where the negatives are so negative, and there's no statistical reason to want Anthony Richardson at either pick, at 6 or 18. Um, but we know from history that statistics don't mean all that much in a bubble when it comes to the quarterback position. Um, Anthony Richardson will probably contend with Cam Newton for that 10 overall rest spot athletically. He has an amazing athlete. He has tons of speed, agility, explosiveness. We're expecting big things from him this week. If he tests how everybody expects him to, that makes him a very versatile weapon in the NFL. Both quarterbacks in the Super Bowl were elite athletes. Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts were both elite athletes. Mahomes was a very explosive and agile athlete, whereas Hurts was a very fast and explosive athlete. The NFL is not a pocket-passing league anymore. It hasn't been in some time. A guy like Anthony Richardson is very tempting, and the Lions did nothing to dissuade anybody from thinking that that's a possibility at 6 or 18. They said every position's on the table. They've said that Jared Goff is our quarterback, but we've got to start considering those types of things. Um, they've left that position open, and I think they're very much considering that position. I guarantee that he's going to be one of their confirmed official visits before the combine, um, or not before, before the draft. Um, and he's a guy that they should consider at both spots, both for if he's at six and they think he's worth it, or if he falls and they don't want to let him fall any further. Fair enough. Uh, I say just wait to the second round draft. He didn't hope you're there. But, uh, Kent, man, we didn't mean to keep you on this long, but this was just some damn good conversation and we couldn't let it stop. So, man, I appreciate you taking this time tonight to enlighten the masses here about Raz and its impacts on the combine and the draft and the future of the NFL and all that going forward. I mean, everything is covered here and uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on. I appreciate it, man. I would come on at any point and stand as long as you want me. I could talk football all the time. I always try to hold myself back. Like I'm talking too much, you know, but you guys provide oh. plenty of great insight and it's, it, it's, it's so hard to compete with it. You know, I feel like, I feel like <laughs> I'm trying to punch up. Right. <laughs> well, we appreciate that, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, follow Ken on Twitter at math bomb and go to ras.football and uh, learn about this Raz stuff yourself, man. Keep up with it while you're watching the draft. You will be a better fan for it. Kent, man, thanks again for coming on. 
Appreciate you guys. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, that Kent. was Kent Lee Platt of Raz.Football and at MathBomb on Twitter. He's the best, man. And uh, Yeah, I mean, he knows the stuff. You know, he – like, just the work that he's put in statistically and, and knowing how this all matches up is – is tremendous. So I love, love that he comes on every year and is willing to come on every year. Uh, we'll have him as long as he'll keep coming. So, so he's, he's phenomenal. Brad, our cohort at draft countdown, checking in said every position's on the table in Brad's last two seasons. Why not consider it? And he agrees with us. Kent is indeed the man. Um, so Shane, uh, you had some fun things come out over the last couple of days. Your, Annual now here at Draft Countdown, 40 predictions are up. Uh, you released defense and special teams, I believe, on yesterday. Today, hey, today yeah. I'm sorry, and offense yesterday. Uh, what uh, – just let's quickly just name – give a couple of guys here that when you were doing this that some of the numbers kind of jumped off to you, either for good or bad here. It's always an interesting process uh, because, you know, I'm either trying to find information that exists out there uh, or, you know, trying to take my guess when I see what I've seen on film and kind of take my notes and turn them in. Well, like, like I talked about last week, I think it's good to do. So if things really don't match up and there'll be some guys that don't, I can be like, okay, let me go watch them again and see what has matched up. Um you know, we, we've mentioned before, but some expect to be the fastest player or one of the fastest players at the combine is Devin Achain, the running back from Texas A&M. He was a, a track star in high school. And we say track star, he was like the best in the country. Um, so some, if I have like a hundred meter for a player, it's always interesting to convert that to a 40 and see what it is. And his best hundred meter that I could find actually converted to a 419. Uh, I don't expect him to run that, but it's like, well, what do I predict him? <laughs> you know, do you, do you predict the, uh, you know, the, the, the four, two, two at Brian, you've been touting on Twitter. He's going to break the record here. So, but I, you know, I, I went a little conservative one, four, two, eight. Um, so that was one where I was like, what do, what do I do? Cause I've never, I haven't run into that last year, obviously. Yeah, I think I, I think you're muted, but I know you are a, a in a chain fan over there. Tomorrow, I've got a column coming out uh, where I have the five my five favorite uh, combine prop bets that I could find because uh, we talked about it like in on in our private Discord chat. I think the uh, the books took a bath last year on some combine betting because it was very hard to find anything of real substance out there. So I kind of just picked five. One of them that I actually bet on was that I think I was at plus 350 on Bovada that someone would break John Ross's record of 422. And I did put that because I think it's – I think David A. Chain, I, I, I feel feel it in my bones. He can get there. And um, I guess Sunday we won't have long to wait – long to find out because alphabetically i presume he's got to be one of the if not the first one of the first ones uh, up right he's second uh is uh, uh, Benaconda's first from pit okay so which two he's fast still, guys <laughs> that's two fast guys right out of the shoot so that's that's wake up with that uh early in the morning right there to uh to watch at the combine so i can't wait for that that's going to be fun uh, but, yeah, uh, go to DraftCountdown.com right now. And uh, especially as you're watching the Combine uh, tomorrow, starts at 2 p. supposed to start at 2 p.m. Central Time on NFL Network. Uh, you can follow along those 40s by looking at Shane's and, and kind of see where he was at and uh, see what they actually run. It's good stuff. Shane, I had a whole segment here about us talking about the athletic beat writer mock draft. Uh, go to theathletic.com and read that. They had all the beat writers from the NFL teams do a mock draft with simulated trades. I found the trades to be fascinating. I want to talk about that tonight, but we've we've gone way long uh, there with Kent, and that was much better content, I think. So we have a lot of questions on Twitter and a couple – I believe we have a couple in the comments. Uh, no, we don't. But um, none on Discord as well. But we do have several on Twitter, so let's get to those. And I guess we'll we'll start with this one because it uh, directly correlates to what we opened the show with. Uh, at Hayden underscore Kenny 17 asks, 
what is going to happen with Jalen Carter's uh, draft stock after this incident uh, or after the news, I should say, that came out today. Yeah, once again, it, it sucks to have to talk about the logistics of this, but teams are going to have this conversation of do we – They're having take, it already. Right. Do we want to take this player? They're digging in to the situation. Um, I, I, I think to me it makes it more tricky for him to go number one overall if the Bears would stay there. I think now Will Anderson becomes kind of the default pick if the Bears stay at one. I – don't foresee Jalen Carter falling out of the top 10 unless there is some type of, you know, expectations going to be like jail time and he's not going to be able to, uh, you know, he's not going to be able to play. I think as long as that doesn't happen, I th- you think we start looking at Falcons and eight and some of the teams at the back end of the top 10, someone will, would pull the trigger. Um, you mentioned about going number one, and we talked about this this morning as well. As of this morning, you could have gotten Will Anderson at plus 1,500 to be the number one overall pick. Uh, and I think that was because of people considering Jalen Carter there. He has now fallen to plus 1,600. Will Anderson now plus 500. That's a big swing in 12 hours uh, for those odds. Um, I will say this about well, – and this is the last thing we'll talk about Jalen Carter tonight – uh, this comes out while, I mean, coming out of the combine, probably not. It's going to get it's getting everybody talking and not in a good way about him. But this also comes out eight weeks before the NFL draft. This is not a situation of Larry Mutunzel and the pictures of the gas mask bong servicing on draft night that seemingly caused him to drop eight or nine spots as we were on the clock. So if he gets in front of the courts and we'll see what happens there. And, and like you mentioned earlier, there could be other charges added at a later date that will, you know, definitely throw this out the window, but with eight weeks before the draft, you know, we'll see what comes up, comes of it. Uh, next question um, at the JUNF in regards to your forty predictions uh, thinks that you might be underestimating Copeland. I presume this to be Maryland wide receiver Jacob Copeland. Uh, yes. I've heard he could compete for the top time overall. Uh, where, where, what, what were your, your your numbers on Copeland that he's questioning? I had Jacob Copeland, the receiver out of Maryland, uh, at a four five three. Uh, you know. He's six foot. He's 203 pounds. He's not a, a small receiver by any means. Um, so, yeah, four, five, three isn't bad. There was, uh, I try to look up information about him. There's some conflicting numbers of how fast he is. Some people had him kind of mid four fours. Some, uh, some numbers had him even slower than I, I did. So, I kind of split the difference. And on film, I didn't feel like he was you know, an elite 4-3 type of player. So we'll, we'll see what happens. It could, could be one that I'm off on. Um, we'll see. I'll give Jay props if that's the case. Absolutely. Um, at the Wanderer 2020 ask, uh, what do you see happening with Brenton Cox Jr., the uh, edge rusher linebacker from Florida? He, You know, he's kind of a tough – I think a tough placement. A lot of times when I'm mocking, I think he's difficult to find a good spot where Britton Cox fits in. You know, he's had a good career. He's had a long career. I I think he's going to test okay this weekend. I don't think he's going to blow the the doors off the barn. We're not going to be talking about a green Raz, probably a yellow one. Um, He's a tweener. Uh, So I almost lean toward Britton Cox being more of that day three, early day three pick that maybe has some upside than the solid day two guy that he looked like before the season. Yeah, I liked him more maybe in 20 after the 2021 season. I thought I was I was higher on him and I was hiding him higher coming into the season, but I'm like you, I think he's definitely a day three guy, but he has a very good chance to outplay his draft position, I believe. Uh I'm still a fan of Brenton Cox Jr., but I don't see him over like you said, overly testing well or going high. Um at Crispy Kareem 22 ask, 
what cornerback should Detroit grab at six if that is indeed the position they are targeting? And I, I, have, a, I have a feeling after this weekend, Christian Gonzalez is going to end up as my number one corner. Um, you know, w- watching him predicting the 40, I was like, oh, man. I mean, this guy is super fast. I, I think all of the top corners are going to do well. I think Devin Witherspoon I have at a 4-3-5. Gonzalez at a 4-4-0, which might be too slow. And I have Joey Porter in the low 4-4s as well. Uh, but if I think if I'm the Lions, I want that pure, really good cover you know, straight cover corner. I think that's what Gonzalez is. You know, if you want the versatility, you get Witherspoon. If you want the physicality, you get Porter. I like the Gonzalez fit for them personally. Last question here, but this is a pretty good one. Uh, At Hardball 2020 ask, do players that opt out of any particular combine drill directly influence your future draft outlook for that player or you just trust the pro day results? It is a really good question. And talking to Kent, I think made me trust the pro day results a little bit more. Cause I, I used to be the guy that was like, well, oh, you know, I'm I'm not taking that. Like I'll basically ignore the pro day. And like Kent said, there could be a slight adjustment depending on the team, but some are slower. It generally lines up, you know, maybe point one point oh seven difference. Um, so I'll generally take the pro day results as fact. I think, I think there's always a part of me that's like a little, it's a little bit less, you know, that a little bit less. And if you don't work out at all, then maybe it doesn't hurt you, but it helps other players. Like we've talked about with the senior bowl before, same thing, not participating may not hurt you, but it'll help others. Um, so uh, now I think I'm taking the pro day kind of as fact at this point. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, there's just, Guys are not going to work out. I guess Smith and I mean, there's nothing you can do about it. You got to take the numbers where you get them, right? I think, and I, and I said this on a radio spot earlier this week. I would love if every single prospect in this draft could work out in India at the combine. Let's get the same numbers for everybody, but it's not going to happen. Some are injured. Some just don't want to. Some aren't good enough to be here. So you take what you get, and the pro day. Sometimes you just have to take what you get, and. I don't think it affects anything here or there. I mean, just use a – I don't – I don't know. Jamar Chase didn't work out at the combine, right? I've, I'm not going to call I feel like his was all pro day. And it worked out, so he's fine. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Um, but that's going to do it for those questions we had tonight. Uh, thanks, everybody, on Twitter for asking those questions. We always – Love to talk about it. I know one player I'm I'm looking forward to seeing at the combine is uh, my man Jason Brownlee from Southern Miss, and our uh, our Southern Miss resident here, Dwayne Lavelle, says hands down, we're the best draft gurus. Love the show always, man. Dwayne, I appreciate you uh you always watching the show every week and for that great comment. Yeah, no, I always appreciate Dwayne and everyone that listens to the show. So we've been growing a little bit. So I appreciate uh, all the support and hope. You've liked the site and always reach out if there's anything you want or anything you want to talk about or have on the site. Man, we are open to getting you what you want. Especially, uh, we've seen a lot of growth on the audio side of the podcast, and that is great to see. Big, uh, great numbers for us the last month, almost month and a half uh, for those podcasts. Man, we really appreciate everybody downloading it, listening to it in the car, listening to it at work, wherever you go to it. It's awesome. We're, we're happy, happy to do it. Uh, Shane, like I said, Combine starts. Uh, Tomorrow, I'll probably miss the first hour and a half of it live. Uh, but I'm going to have a daily combine report come up the next day. You know, so day one, I'll talk about it on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And you're going to have a your next 2023 seven-round mock coming up on Monday, right? Yeah, it's going to be a late late Sunday night for me. <laughs> yes, Taking all is. this stuff. Because, and, because these, I, I got a feeling uh, a lot of these numbers we're going to see on Tuesday is going to directly correlate to some movement there uh, from yeah. that last seven-round mock. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll be working on that. And I'll, I'll probably be tweeting from the Draft Countdown account a little bit, from my account a little bit, um, with the, the weigh-in numbers and the drills and all that. So we'll see what happens. All right. Well, that's going to do it for tonight's episode of the Draft Countdown Podcast. As always, uh, if you're new to the YouTube channel when you watch this, please like our channel, uh, subscribe to it, and uh, like the videos. 
and share them out amongst your people. And we mentioned the audio podcast, if uh, be it uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you you get your fine podcast uh, to listen to. Just give us a nice five-star review. Share it out on your social media channels. Let's get the word going about how great the Draft Countdown podcast is and how much it means to you to hear all these great guests that we have lined up. We've got guests almost lined up every week uh, leading up to the draft, so that's going to be great. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Deep Fried Draft. Follow Shane on Twitter at Shane P. Hallam. Follow Draft Countdown on Twitter at Draft Countdown. And go to DraftCountdown.com for your daily NFL draft needs. That's going to do it, everybody. Until next week, good night.